Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled Faithful and Diligent. Today I'm about to discuss the fourth in a series of five parables. And this one is about money and responsibility and accountability. Indeed, this one even seems to encourage entrepreneurship. I mean, get out there and make a lot of money. That's what Jesus seems to be saying. And that might strike some of us as strange. That's because earlier in his ministry, he had been saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 19, Jesus said, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And then there was the rich young ruler who had been told to sell all that he had and give to the poor. And yet, in this parable, Jesus speaks about making money. Now, clearly, since we know that Jesus was not a sloppy teacher who often contradicted himself, we need to very carefully examine what it is that Jesus taught. The context is that one day Jesus will return, and when he does, he will demand an accounting as to what we have done with that which was not our own. And that, that the three people in the parable were handling something that was not their own, that's the heart of this teaching. You know, Randy Alcorn, when he was doing talks about possessions, would sometimes open up with a parable of his own. He'd ask the audience if someone had a pencil that he could borrow, and then he'd take that pencil, in the course of the illustration that he was making, he'd break the pencil in half. And so he had destroyed someone else's property, but then Alcorn explained what he was doing. What the audience hadn't known is that Elkhorn had already given someone a pencil before the meeting began, and when that person gave Elkhorn a pencil, he was in fact giving Elkhorn his own pencil back. And that changed everyone's perspective. You know, it's one thing to break someone else's pencil, but it's quite something else to break your own pencil. And that was Elkhorn's point. If God takes away everything you have. He's not taking away what you have. He's taking that which is already his. It belonged to him from the beginning. But in the course of time, we tend to forget that lesson. In fact, we act like the possessions are our own, and we have the right to do with them as we see fit. And that's the background for this parable. So let's begin to read Matthew 25, 14 and 15. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So let's orient ourselves. When Jesus says that it will be like a man going on a journey, the it, well, that's the second coming of Jesus. See, Jesus has already said to his disciples, I mean, remember, this is 2,000 years from our day, that his second coming would be delayed, it would be longer than they had thought. And in the meantime, they needed to know how to behave. Well, in this in-between time, this time between, you know, the formation of the church, along with the command to make disciples of all the nations, I mean, this entire event will be like a man going on a journey. For a period of time, the man is going to be gone. Now, please don't misread the parable from the beginning. You know, in one sense, you know, Jesus isn't gone at all. Now, just before he ascended to heaven, he said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
But of course, Jesus isn't bodily present. We're awaiting not some spiritual, deeper encounter with Jesus. We're awaiting for his visible, physical, bodily return when he will appear and the entire earth will see him and he will bring this evil age to an end and he's going to usher in the age to come. But we're not there yet. We live in this remarkable time in which two ages overlap. The old age, the one that existed since the fall of Adam, is still here. Sin, well, it carries on. So does disease, death, and the refusal of human beings to acknowledge God. But a new age has already begun. It's the age of the kingdom. The power of Jesus is present today. Forgiveness of sins is offered to the whole world. The Holy Spirit has come. He's regenerating one heart after another. Men and women all over the world are turning to God through Jesus our Lord. And yet, these are the two ages, and they overlap. And we wait for the return of Jesus. And these days in which we live will be like a man who's gone on a journey. But before he went, he entrusted his property. Yeah, all property belongs to the man who went on a journey. So notice also that the man who owns all things hands out various portions of his property. (laughs) This is not a socialist utopia where everyone gets exactly what the other person has. Rather, the man, for reasons that aren't explained in the parable, hands out differing sums of money to different people. To one, he gives five talents. To the next two, to the last one. So let's clear up the difficulties from the start. You know, in the English language, a talent is an ability. I mean, you might be a talented musician, a talented athlete, or even a talented mathematician. You know, talents in our language are abilities or giftedness. And I make mention of that because it might be a natural reaction to believe that this parable is about our various abilities. But in Jesus' time, you see, a talent was a unit of money, no more, no less. Now, the second difficulty. Most of us, when reading this, have no idea how much money that is. I mean, is it like $5, $2, $1, what? So let's try to understand this unit of money. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. Now, don't let your eyes cloud over. A denarii was a good wage for one day's work for a blue-collar worker. And so a talent is the equivalent of the wages that you would get for 6,000 working days. That would be roughly equivalent to 10 years. And so the man going on a journey entrusted to the first man the equivalent of 40 years for the average blue-collar worker, the second 20 years, and the last 10 years. But because thinking of that way is far too technical, let's just make it easy on ourselves, shall we? Let's say for our purposes, the first guy got five million bucks, the second guy two million, and the last one one million. You see, in each case, it's a large sum of money, and not one penny of it belongs to any one of these three men. And that's where the drama begins. Very good. Let's keep reading verses 16 to 19. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, this part of the parable is probably the easiest part to understand. The first guy doubles his master's money. He goes from, you know, 5 million to 10 million. The second guy doubles the master's money. He goes from 2 million to 4 million. And the last guy doesn't invest. He digs a hole in the ground and hides the money. You know, in our eyes, that is, through contemporary eyes, that seems unheard of. 
And to be fair to this parable, you know, in Jesus' day, people also had things that were, well, the equivalent of banks. But a great many people didn't trust those financial institutions. You remember the parable Jesus told about the man who found treasure hidden in a field. So that practice of hiding money in the earth was actually more frequent than one might think. In times of turmoil, that was considered safe. But putting those details aside, notice verse 19. The master comes and settles accounts. That is, this is always the expectation. All three men understood that the master would come to see what they had done with his property. Each would have to reckon with what they were given. Now, this truth that everything belongs to Christ and he's going to return and demand a reckoning, well, that's biblical teaching. Romans 14, 10 to 12. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. How about 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10? So whether we are at home, that is in the body, or away, that is having died and away from the body, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. See, the time will come when each of us will give an account of what we've done with the resources that we've had. They were never ours, but they were entrusted to us. And of course, if we leave the parable for a moment and just look around, you're going to see exactly what the parable describes. We all have various amounts of money. We all have various amounts of resources. And getting back to our parable, we need to see that those differing amounts are according to God's design. See, some of us were born in a wealthy nation, and we had greater opportunities than others. Now, in our day, you know, this is a hot topic. And you might think that Jesus would heap condemnation on those who are born into privilege, but he doesn't. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus gives his view on this matter. He says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him whom they have trusted much, they will demand the more. And so Jesus is teaching on this matter, and let me make it an easy application. Stop feeling guilty about the privilege that you have, and start feeling responsible to use those resources to bless others and to give glory to God. Christmas is more than family traditions, gifts, and festive music. Christmas is a promise kept. God promised to send a Savior, and Christmas is the fulfillment of that pledge. For this reason, Back to the Bible Canada is committed to the teaching of God's Word, and your dependable support enables the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada to fulfill that mission. As 2022 draws to a close, Many listeners consider a special gift as an expression of their support for faithful, trustworthy Bible teaching. This year, our goal is to raise $519,000 by December 31st. This will allow Back to the Bible Canada to enter 2023 prepared to respond to the increasing need and opportunity to engage the world around us with solid Bible teaching you can trust. To give a gift to the year-end goal, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a man who had just retired, and 
He had spent his working life working for a company that was owned by a wealthy Christian. I asked him, how was your experience working for that company? And he said, I was always treated with dignity, with fair and just principles. It was excellent, he said. Now that spoke well of that Christian business owner. He was providing a business where people could live, raise families, retire, have a blessed lifetime. And furthermore, I'm convinced that this Christian business owner was also a very extravagant giver, both to areas of need as well as to the advancement of the gospel. In my estimation, he was doing what the master commanded. The resources weren't his. Rather, they were entrusted to him to engage in business for the benefit of the master. So let's keep reading our parable. Remember, Jesus is talking about the time between the, you know, the formation of the church and his second coming. He has entrusted various resources. Now comes the time to settle accounts, verses 20 to 25. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So let's look at all three servants, shall we? The first one reports back. I was able, he says, to double the resources. I went from 5 million to 10 million. And as a result, the master gives him a fourfold commendation. First thing he says, well done. That is, the master's pleased. I would think there is no greater longing for any follower of Jesus than to appear before Christ at the end of the age, and hear his commendation, well done. So please don't think that every Christian hears that. I mean, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone was built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, that's a very difficult thought. To have been redeemed by Christ, but whose lifetime work amounts to nothing of value. So if you want to know what sort of thing is burned up and what sort of things remain, I mean, ask yourself the most basic of all questions. I mean, what are you doing that has eternal consequences and what does not? That is, lead someone to Christ, invest in a child in Sunday school, bring someone who's falling or erring back into the fold, bring hope to the despairing, invest in people for the glory of God, that stuff remains. I mean, spend all of your days on your own wealth and pleasure, that stuff burns. Well done. Those are wonderful words for a believer to hear. So the second thing the master says is that he calls him a good and faithful servant. That is, the servant both knew what the master wanted him to do, and he did it. What a tragedy for some who don't know what the master wants and they're not doing anything. Third, the master says that he can trust this servant. He's been faithful in little. He'll put him in charge of much. And that truth 
is about the life to come, the correct picture of heaven. It's not lying on a beach in the tropics somewhere or playing on endless golf courses. We were created to rule and reign over the works of God's hands. You were created to great eternal tasks. And the fourth thing the master says is that the servant is to enter into the joy of his master. That is, the very presence of the master is unequal joy. And that's the heart of the gospel. There is no true and lasting joy apart from Christ. He's the fountain of everything that satisfies. You know, so many people chase joys that are here for a short period of time. You know, they seek fame, earthly riches, you know, sex, power, and all of the pleasures of life. But all of those pleasures fade, and all that's left in the end then is meaninglessness and emptiness. Christ, on the other hand, is a treasure house of eternal joy of the fulfillment of what it means to be human. I mean, enter into the joy of your master. That's not a a throwaway line. It's an invitation to come and, and live. Now, that's the glory of the first servant. Now comes the second servant, and he's the one who has given two talents, or to use our reckoning that we have been using, $2 million, and he's also commended in the same way. He also is set over much and invited into joy. And from that, we learn that none of us are called upon to produce the same results as the next person. Rather, we're called upon to be faithful with what has been given to us. Let's look at the third servant. And it's the one who put the money in the ground to hide it and to do nothing for the master with it, only to give it back when the master comes. And notice this man has thought through his actions. And he has harsh charges against the master. I mean, first he says, the master is a hard man. And that word hard means he thinks the master is an abuser. He exploits the labor of others. He uses others for his own purposes. And then the man goes further. He says, you reap what you didn't sow. And you gather where you didn't scatter seed. That is, this man doesn't believe his master owns everything. He will not acknowledge that the land, the seed, the harvest, all of that belongs to the master. He won't admit to that. He will admit that the one talent belonged to him and that the master had given it to him. Here, have it back. And notice the response. And here I'm reading verses 26 to 30. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there are those who question this parable because in the Old Testament, the loaning out of money for interest was forbidden. But according to Deuteronomy 23 verse 30, this is only related to money loaned to a fellow Israelite or a fellow citizen, not a foreigner. And according to Don Carson, in the New Testament times, Jewish scholars made a differentiation between usury, that is, charging excessive rates, and the lending at interest. And according to Roman law, interest rates had to be capped at no higher than 12%. But all that's beside the point. And the point is that the servant could have done the minimum required, but he hadn't even bothered to do that. And so because he refused to accept the master's ownership of everything, 
And because he deeply despised the master, this worthless servant is cast into the place of outer darkness. In short, this servant, unlike the one that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians, who built on a foundation that didn't last, in this case, this servant was not a follower of the master at all. And that leads to several considerations. I mean, the first is that Jesus assigns various resources to every single one of his servants. And I would argue, of course, as we've seen, it does include our money. It also includes the opportunities that come our way. It does include our abilities. And this parable teaches also that God requires no more of us than that which he has given us. Second, This parable also teaches us that we need to be engaged in promoting the work of the Lord. I mean, every single believer is called upon to be involved in advancing the kingdom. We use our wealth to do that. We give to our church, to missions, to the poor, to the betterment of others. If we only involve ourselves in that which benefits us, we prove ourselves unwilling to do that which the master has ordered us to do. We must be faithful in his commands. Third, we're reminded that being engaged in the business of our Lord results in joy and not in tedium. I know. You know, some people see cross-bearing and forsaking all for the kingdom, that it's such a burden and they don't wish to bear it. But remember, Jesus said that any burden he gave us would be light. All that's done for the kingdom in the name of Jesus results in eternal joy. Let's remember that. And finally, fourth, we're reminded that should our attitude be that of this worthless servant, If we should think in terms of that which belongs to the master and that which belongs to us, if we should think at a great imposition that Christ puts his seal of ownership on all that we have, then understand this, we earn the master's condemnation. And so as we continue to live in this in between the time, as we await the second coming of Jesus, let's engage in business for the advancement of the kingdom and for the glory of God until he parts the clouds and calls us home. Thanks for your message, John. You know, help me understand the idea that a just God does not treat all people the same. Yeah, I think, um, you know, those of us who have children, uh, if you're wise and you're dealing with your children, you're going to know something about, you know, the personality of each single child. And you won't treat them the same, but you'll treat them fairly. And I think that's what we have with God. I mean, for his own eternal and wise purposes, he gives us and trusts to us various parts of his kingdom. Um, Let's not complain that someone else has received more or less or whatever. Let's simply say that our altogether wise God has entrusted this to me, and he will find me doing the master's business when he comes. Make that the commitment of your heart. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. With the Christmas season upon us, it's hard not to reflect on the most recent Israel experience hosted by Back to the Bible Canada earlier this year. Visiting many of the New Testament locations where Jesus himself walked makes the celebration of our Savior's arrival even more impactful. Well, I've got some good news. Back to the Bible Canada will be hosting another tour of the Holy Land on April 16th to the 24th, 2023, 
with an optional extension to Jordan April 24th of the 29th. With Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Against Phil Calloway, musical guest Amanda Stott, and the ministry leadership team, you're guaranteed to have a pilgrim experience that transforms your understanding of the Word and your journey of faith. If you're interested in joining us, reserve your spot today. Numbers are limited to ensure the most intimate of experiences. So visit backtothebible.ca or call us today at 1-800-663-2425.